Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's April 5th, 1991. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. As one of the great mid-century movie stars, Elizabeth Taylor had many iconic lines. Cleopatra alone is chock-a-block with camp classics like My breasts are full of love and life. But probably none of them is as familiar to millions as Not so fast, Von Ryan. These have always brought me luck. The line she utters in a TV commercial advertising the most successful celebrity perfume in history, White Diamonds, which launched today in history in 1991. Yeah, the funny thing about it is that this wasn't actually her first foray into the fragrance world in any case, which had begun back in 1987 when she launched this new perfume in what was then a top secret press conference. People just didn't know what she was going to announce and she said she had an announcement to make. They all turned up. They thought she might be talking about whether she was going to get married again or moving to a different country or something. Anyway, the press was all there. And once they were in the room, she swanned in wearing this fur coat uh, and enormous hat and announced that she had a new fragrance that was coming out called Passion. And then fast forward a few years to this day in 1991, and the sales of Passion had reached an estimated 100 million. And so she was like, well, why wouldn't I do another one? Not only was it not Elizabeth Taylor's first perfume, it also wasn't the first hit celebrity perfume. There were others. Cher had a perfume in 1987. Um, Sophia Loren launched her own perfume in 1981, so before even Elizabeth Taylor's one. So it wasn't new, this idea of putting a celebrity as the not only advocate and face of a, a perfumier, but in fact, supposedly the manufacturer of it. But basically... White Diamonds was the best. Yeah. Like, it smelt good. Women around the world loved it. <laughs> it's funny how that and matters. It, <laughs> yeah. it and it, Well, that's the thing. I mean, it really underlines that actually the product does need to be good. It's not just about the brand. And it does seem that partly that was Elizabeth Taylor's genuine dedication to that she cared about this product. She wore it and she did help design it. Yeah, I mean, in the past, most celebrity involvement with fragrance had been really as a publicity stunt. So there was one as early as 1932. There was a fragrance called Shocking, which was in a bottle that was modelled on Mae West's bust. So you can see that she probably didn't have that. You know, she wasn't in the lab smelling all of the different pipettes. And one that I actually really liked was um, Givenchy created a perfume called L'Antadie in 1957, sort of for Audrey Hepburn. And she wore it for a year before it went on sale to the public. But again, this was obviously capitalising on her as the publicity machine rather than saying, well, you know, this is like her fragrance that she's manufactured herself specially for you. And that's the appeal that White Diamonds and and Taylor's other perfumes had is that there was a genuine, at least a genuine belief that she was involved in it and that you were getting a little bit of her in every bottle, as it were. The other funny thing that you could potentially get out of your purchase of White Diamonds was you got to have tea with Elizabeth Taylor if you were one of the first 150 customers who bought one of the limited edition bottles uh, in the Marshall Field and Co. department store in New York. So she actually did put herself right front and centre with this product. But the very fact that she did do a multi-city promotional tour, that she did go to shopping malls, you know, like a boy band promoting this in 1991... 
it offered the opportunity, I think, for people to feel like they were able to live this sort of old school glamour lifestyle that other celebrities just couldn't offer. I mean, she was 70 at this point. And she looks hot in that advert, doesn't she? She looks amazing for 70. And filmed in it, very soft face. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. But she does look amazing. And it's just, it, in a strange way, I think, just more potent than it would have been if she'd have launched the perfume in the 50s or the 60s. I feel like it's like, because the price point was like $20, $30. That's the thing, isn't it? Every woman who wants a perfume can afford to smell like Elizabeth Taylor, old school Hollywood. Well, it's just incredible, isn't it, really? In an era that could be so cruel, especially to female celebrities, and she was the subject of a lot of jokes, somehow the fact that she had all these really public battles did seem to endear her to the American public rather than to, you know, poison the brand. And people had grown up with her since she was, you know, she'd started out as a child star in films like National Velvet, and then she'd had this very complicated, very public personal life. But it just ended up creating Elizabeth Taylor as this character who, as you say, on one hand did embody old school glamour, old school femininity, but also this very human resilience that women and, well, you know, women and men could identify with. You know, having said that, you know, every woman could smell like Elizabeth Taylor, it's every woman of a certain age, isn't it? Really, you bought this for your mum at Christmas. So actually, it's a price cut on the Estee Lauder, isn't it? But you're saying to your mum... You are cool and resilient like Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> you are an alcoholic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the weird thing is, is that people of subsequent generations, even if it is for mums, they have kept buying it for mums. And we've gone through several generations of the mums who are receiving it. In 1991, there were three big scents being launched. One was White Diamonds and they were up against Estee Lauder's uh, Spellbound and Calvin Klein's Escape. Um, and there was this huge fragrance war in that same year. The best smelling war ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, the whole of the US had been bombarded with these, yeah, these 70 million fragrance strips that were put into magazines and they also had these armies of those department store uh, spray models, I think they're called, who were out in force trying <laughs> to promote each of these scents. Elle magazine sent to its 14,000 subscribers a video cassette with Estee Lauder's TV promo for Spellbound in the magazine. So you got wow. your magazine and a video. So it was a big, like, competitive time and yet you know it, it, it worked for them well I mean White Diamonds definitely went in prepared for a war because Passion had gone in with a promotional budget of 10 million dollars White Diamonds was allocated 20 million dollars and this included as Ollie's mentioned Elizabeth Taylor herself going around department stores like you know Tiffany promoting I think we're alone now but also <laughs> the, the TV spot you know I mentioned the advert at the top that was just a truncated version of a two minute and 35 second mini movie which was played you know if you wanted to tune into that you had to go into the department store and they would you'd see it on a screen at the Elizabeth Arden counter and it had a proper name White Diamonds starring Elizabeth Taylor you know it's not here's the ad for White Diamonds um, but why are we still talking about this? Because even if this was big in the 90s, you know, and it was, at its height they were selling four bottles per minute worldwide. The reason we're still talking about this is because what it went on to give us afterwards, which was the real phenomenon for celebrity perfumes. If you didn't have white diamonds, you wouldn't have Britney Spears, you wouldn't have uh, J-Lo, Glow, uh, you wouldn't have Beyonce. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It is no longer a weird thing to say... I'm wearing Peter Andre today. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the success of White Diamonds did unleash a deluge of celebrity perfumes. Omar Sharif 
It's one of the more unlikely ones. He actually released quite a few and they did quite well. So the, <laughs> the Spice Girls as well. But by the mid-90s, it was getting a little bit silly. In 1995, Kermit the Frog released Amphibia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So by 1996, there was an article in the New York Times by David Coleman that was headlined, Celebrity Sense, Simply Resistible, in which he explores the fact that this industry seemed to have foundered a little bit. Maybe there had been a bit of overexposure, every celebrity wanting to slap their name on a perfume bottle. And that did they do a falling. Miss Piggy? Elizabeth yes, he did. Dusty. It was in yeah, 1998 was and it was called Moi. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Okay. I mean, that I can um, actually imagine smelling pretty similar to White <laughs> <laughs> Well, So in this article, he speaks to Linda Wells, who is the editor of Allure, and she talks about why Taylor's White Diamonds and her other perfumes succeeded where others had failed. And it wasn't just a case of oversaturation. And I thought it was interesting. She said, you have to be a certain kind of celebrity to transcend your latest movie or to work in a bigger way. Madonna goes in and out of style faster than Hemline. So it's hard to have a fragrance based Based on someone who's hot and the next minute isn't or one minute does something tasteful and the next minute does something potentially offensive liz taylor transcends that she's bigger than whatever you just read in the national Enquirer. well by the way one of the reasons why her scent might have done better than omar sharif's which you mentioned was because of the weird sales model that that had so it also came out in the early 90s and it cost 750 dollars an ounce but for that enormous sum, the customer would get a uh, like like a bottle with two refills a year for her entire life. <laughs> I was like, that is never ever going to work as a thing that you can actually make money from, and it didn't. There's now no mention of it, <laughs> like at all. Well, you mentioned Glow by J.Lo Wally. That came out in September 2002, and that's credited with kickstarting kind of phase two of the celebrity scentocalypse. In the 90s, it had kind of got a bit worn out, but it, Glow changed everything. You know, people didn't believe that it was going to be a success because just precisely because these celebrity perfumes hadn't been selling as well. Instead, it quickly became the top-selling fragrance in the US. And obviously today, when you go around the perfume counters, they're kind of dominated by these celebrity scents. And the interest of celebrities still in fronting their own perfumes is the revenue that can be generated when you get a hit. I mean, it wasn't just White Diamonds, there was a portfolio of them, but when Elizabeth Taylor died, her estate was thought to be worth up to $1 billion, which is almost entirely due to her perfumes. Guys, we need to do a retrospective perfume. <laughs> what would we call it? Something like dither. <laughs> Tangent. <laughs> Factoid. Tomorrow. That's such a simple message that, you know, 140 years later or whatever we are, it still resonates. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.